Our scripture today talks about the way Jesus talks about living water. It's from John 7, 37 to 52. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture said, out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit, which believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no spirit because Jesus had not been glorified. When they heard these words, some in the crowd said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some asked, surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? Has not the scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? So there was a division in the crowd because of him. Some wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. When the temple police went back to the chiefs, chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why did you not arrest him? The police answered, never has anyone spoken like this. Then the Pharisees replied, surely you too have not been deceived, have you? Has any one of the authorities or of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which does not know the law, they are accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus before and who was one of them, asked, our law does not judge people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they are doing, does it? They replied, Surely you are not from Galilee, are you? Search, and you will see that no prophet is to arise from Galilee. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. On the last day of the festival, the great day, dot, dot, dot. This is how our scripture began today. And you might just sort of blow over it to get to the actual story. We all might. Um, but there's context here, some pretty important context that John has chosen to set this story in. And it's context that an earlier reader would have understood just intuitively. Um, and we don't. On the last day of the festival, the great day, well, which, which festival? The festival that's happening here is Sukkot. It is the festival of booths, the festival of tabernacles. If you've ever heard of Sukkot, you might know that this is the festival when um, even contemporary Jews will, will build booths, structures, temporary structures. It is a harvest festival. So it is a celebration of the food that has been grown and produced and nurtured and harvested on the land, the food that feeds people. Well, a thing that I learned this year for the first time is uh, that the last day of Sukkot, on the last day of the festival, the great day, that is the day that the priests would come to the pool of Siloam and they would lift the water 
and they would celebrate and bless the water. Because after all, there is no harvest without water. There is no produce without water. So this harvest festival, this festival of tabernacles and booze, this festival that would celebrate the food grown of the land, it culminates in the celebration of water. And the Israelites would tell the story of having just enough water in the wilderness, just enough water in the desert that they could eat, that their people survived. Thanks be to God. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. So now I'm imagining what are our own, the great days of our own festivals. This is what I see. I see Easter Sunday worship. I see us all gathered in our finery. I see Jennifer Delante in a fabulous hat. I see the children of all ages coming forward and putting their flowers in the chicken wire cross and building this beautiful mosaic of blooms. I see Pastor Amy lifting up a loaf of bread and saying, on the day that Jesus was betrayed into unjust powers, he had a meal with his nearest and dearest, with his disciples. He took bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he gave thanks to God for it. And he said, this bread is my body. It is life for you. Eat this and remember me and be remembered as a single body. And then I see a guy standing off to the side, maybe over by the piano saying, hey, if you want bread, it's me. Bread, anybody want bread? It's me, I am the bread. So put yourself in that situation in the congregation as we are celebrating a feast day together. We are celebrating this ritual that has come to mean so much to our community, that tells the story of our people coming through, that tells the story of our people being fed, tells the story of our people being shown a way, a Jesus way that we want to follow. And then the person cries out, if you want to know anything about new life, it's me actually. Anybody resurrection interested? Me. Bread? Me. Look at me. That's what's happening in this story. We look back and we read the story as the inheritors of our forebears who followed the Jesus way and have for 2000 years. And so we know that Jesus is the good guy in the story. We know he's the one that's doing the right thing and we know we're to follow. But in the midst of this story, Jesus is being deliberately and publicly provocative. He is disrupting what is a lovely 
ritual and ceremony and great feast and festival of his people celebrating water. And he's saying, anybody thirsty? Look at me, come to me. So this is the first thing that I notice in this story. <laughs> you know, as much as I claim to be, seek to be, try to be a follower of the Jesus way in my life. It's what I was raised up in. It's what I, at a certain point or at certain points as an adult along the way, have reclaimed or claimed for myself. I've messed with the tradition as it was served to me on a platter and found my own way through it and sometimes really struggled with it but ultimately this this is it this is my this is my way and i imagine being there at the pool of siloam as the priest is raising up the water and celebrating our people coming through and surviving and this guy crying off to the side and i got to tell you i don't think I would have been one of the ones to go over that direction. Like, hey, dude, like what you're saying is interesting. Let's have a conversation about that. Sure. But can we do that later? Maybe like we're, maybe we could do the water ritual here and then have a nice sort of logical reasoned conversation later. Uh, do you have to stand up there by the piano and interrupt as Pastor Amy is lifting the bread <laughs> for the community to eat? You are welcome here, but maybe lower the tone of your voice. Can you just pause for a moment? Can we do this later? I think I'm struck right out of the gates in this story that our tradition and I know this, I've known this to a certain degree my whole life or in, you know, more or less ways, but our tradition is one born of radicals, disruptors, um, not maybe someone a little bit more moderate than it turns out maybe I have become <laughs> in my own life. <laughs> So there we are, the last day of the festival, the great day, the priest blessing the water, Jesus crying out that he's the living water. And that's almost all that we have of Jesus in this story, because then it goes to the whole flurry of activity that happens around Jesus and what the people are saying about this guy and how are we going to deal with this and how that. And so they, in the crowds, uh, begin to wonder if he's the prophet, the one we've been waiting for. Is he the Messiah? And then others say, well, he can't be the Messiah because isn't he from Galilee? And there's this geographical kind of disparaging. This is both what, what appears in scripture that you know the Messiah would come from the house and lineage of David and be born in Bethlehem. But there's also a, a thing here that I think gets lost in translation for us as well, which is Galilee would have been the sort of hinterlands, right? These are folks that are more in the urban core. Um, and that disparaging, which is, I think, a mutual disparaging between, oh, what shall we call ourselves, urban elites? And more agrarian 
people of the land, there's sort of a mutual disparaging that is, we, we didn't come up with this. There is nothing new under the sun. That's what's happening here. This guy, this guy is from Eastern Washington. This guy's from Idaho. Okay, we're too polite to say those things out loud typically, but wherever your disparaging place is that you hold in the secrets of your heart, that's what's happening here. This guy is Galilee. He is not anyone important. He's just screaming from the margins and doesn't know what he's talking about. So there's division in the crowd. There's division in the crowd as they swirl around this one who is crying from the side that he is the water. He's the important water. Then the police go to the chief priests and the Pharisees and the chief priests and the Pharisees are like, yo, police, you had one job. You had one job. It was to arrest this guy. What? Why are you not doing it? And the temple police say, yeah, but have you heard what this guy is saying? It's actually kind of compelling. It's sort of intriguing. I don't, I don't know. I just couldn't put the handcuffs on him. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of interested to hear more. And then the chief priests and Pharisees just say, oh, have you been taken with him too? Have you, you too? And here I want to have an empathic reading of these Pharisees and chief priests, as you've already heard me start with. An empathic reading of these men, they were all men at the time, let's be honest. These men who had dedicated their entire lives to the study of scripture, to theological questions and wrestling, and had taken very seriously their call to be leaders of a people, to do their best to discern what was the good and right and godly path? And they've got this person, this person now who's crying out over here, and they want to protect their people. They're people who maybe who are probably less than edu less educated than they are, certainly in terms of scripture and theology, who may not have access to as many resources. Uh, think about this with media sources now. You know, we do, we turn to experts. We turn to those who have some expertise, who have devoted their lives to study and inquiry. And, and we value that. And when someone starts crying from the far corners of the interwebs, uh, one of the duties I think of leaders is to help to be discerning to not just scream fake news, but to be able to actually point out when this is not a good source. The Pharisees and chief priests are saying, this guy is crying out. Like, you've been taken with him too? Oh, we need to be discerning. It's at that moment that Nicodemus enters the scene. Nicodemus returns. Um, we were with him just a number of weeks ago, earlier in the Gospel of John. And I think it's really interesting what Nicodemus's role is in the midst of this uh, frenzy. Nicodemus says, all right, chief priests and Pharisees, you say the Messiah can't come from Galilee. That, it's true that that's in our scriptures. Um, but what is also in our scriptures is that 
we give people a fair hearing. Are we going to give this guy a fair hearing? So Nicodemus here is actually the sort of nuanced voice, the nuanced voice of reason calling his peers, the other leaders, to give Jesus a fair hearing. So there we are through the story. That's basically it. The chief priests and the Pharisees then sort of disparage Nicodemus and say, ah, you must be from Galilee too. Um, you must be one of those back country, backwoods yahoos as well. You just throw an insult at him. And that's the end of the story. So what do we make of this story? I don't honestly know the answer to that question. I can tell you where, where there are some glimmers for me. The first one is simply an empathic reading of these Pharisees and chief priests and the struggle, the struggle that there is for any one of us when we really do value those who have devoted their lives in study and care. And yet sometimes a truth will emerge from the crowds. Sometimes a new way, a new opening will emerge from the margins. Sometimes it'll be the person crying wildly off to the side that at first were real quick to dismiss. So there's some, there's some continued discernment that is required of all of us there as we both honor the traditions, honor the things that we've known for a long time and open ourselves to the radical off to the side. The final thing that I will say as a glimmer for me in this text, which I haven't actually mentioned yet, is that when Jesus says, I am the living water, hey, yo, look at me, I'm the living water. He also says, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. There's this sense that then those who come after him, those who will find their way to the Jesus way. And this, this takes generations for this to really happen. Those who find their way to the Jesus way will also have the source of living water in them. So I think this is part of how we do that discerning together as a community is to look for where there is life. Where is the water that nurtures life? Even when it starts from a place that feels disruptive, feels intentionally and publicly provocative, is there life? Does life spring up in that person, in that person's community, in ourselves, in our community? I do think ultimately this is a story of discernment. It's a story of looking and watching and wondering and staying curious and staying open and tuned in to where God's life is bubbling up among the people. May we indeed find that there are springs of living water springing up in us 
May we have our eyes opened and our minds and hearts curious about those who cry out from the margins. May we all seek together the living water to which Jesus points. Amen. May it be so.